Must be time to start. Man, we're like on time this morning. We haven't done this for about five weeks. <laughs> we are ahead of the curve today. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Curry Baptist Church this morning. We've got a few announcements. One exciting one. Uh, of course, we, we got small groups Tuesday, Wednesday, Tuesday at my place, Wednesday night here, both at 6 p.m. Uh, and if you are queuing into denominational life, I want to draw you your attention to two things today. So, uh, one, we have the we are in the week of prayer, officially starting today for the Georgia Barnett Missions Offering. And if you're asking what is that, I would be very glad to tell you. Um, some of y'all know I'm deeply involved with disaster relief here in the state. That's something that is directly attributable to this offering. Uh, every time there's a disaster, all those people in the yellow shirts with the wheat on it, right? Uh, all those people deploy thousands of people usually whenever there's a disaster, which uh, hopefully will not happen this year. Somebody knock on wood. Lewis, you're closest. Um, but many other things happen in denominational life. I really want to draw your attention. October 10th uh, at Williams Boulevard Baptist Church, which is just off the interstate on Williams to North. We are having our Baptist Association call meeting. There's a guy coming in. Uh, named Matt Emerson. Matt Emerson is a professor at Oklahoma Baptist University. He's also one of the founding directors of the Centers for Baptistic Renewal. And if you don't know them, I would deeply encourage you to uh, Google them, look them up. Um, it's a group that's engaged in something called Reconciliation, or I'm sorry, Recovery for the Sake of Renewal, basically digging into the church tradition uh, to you know, find, revive practices, beliefs that ought not to have been forgotten. Um, a lot of times we throw the baby out with the bathwater with that kind of thing. I would deeply encourage you to uh, look them up and then consider coming to our fall meeting. That's a meeting that's got hundreds of people from all over the region that are involved in our denominational work. So feel free to, to come out. Um, the 28th, I believe it's the 28th, uh, three weeks from now on a Sunday, Sunday afternoon, we are doing a disaster relief training. So you could legit give to Georgia Barnett this morning and then go and take part in disaster relief training. You'd be the best Baptist in Louisiana. <laughs> Seriously, that's all it takes. Um, I just want to tell you here, next week, so a week, or no, this Friday, I'm sorry, not even a week from today. This Friday, we've got a guy in town. He's going to be playing for Shower Friday. Um, his name's Kevin Sclera. He's a... Uh, very cool musician. He's on Spotify if you can look him up. And he's playing another show that evening. So you can either come to Shower Friday, help us volunteer um, with people experiencing homelessness, and then you can come back that evening or you could go to one or the other and, and catch Kevin playing. He's a great guy. He's been uh, part of our church life for years now, uh, longer than I've been. So come come hear him. He's, he's a great musician. Ooh. All right. Pray with me. Thanks. Phil's giving me the thumbs up. It makes me feel so good. Thanks, Phil. Pray with me as we get started this morning. Father God, we come to you this week from so many different places. Lord, from places of hurt, places of distraction and busyness. God, places of joy and rejoicing. Lord, I pray that we would be able to enter into each other's lives. Um, this week, God, and that we would be able to worship you in spirit and truth fully this morning. Lord, I pray that your spirit would meet us here, even with people out and on vacation, God, that if your spirit's here, we know that you are all we need with us this morning. 
Oh, Lord, thank you for air conditioning. Thank you for the sunshine sometimes, as long as it's not directly hitting us. Um, God, thank you for so many of your incredible gifts that you give us this morning. Lord, I pray that we would be able to join together in worship of you this morning. Pray this in Jesus' name, so we know you hear us. Amen. Our readings this morning focus on an important contradiction. I know we don't like that word in the modern world. We don't like contradictions. We prefer things to flow logically and neatly. I would point you towards uh, a favorite author, uh, Walt Whitman, who in his book, Leaves of Grass, writes this. He says, do I contradict myself? Very well then, I contradict myself. I am vast, I contain multitudes. I want to point to one important contradiction for our, our scriptural readings this morning. And uh, it's summed up pretty well in the tattoo that I have never actually gotten. I've known for about a decade what tattoo I would get, and I just, I'm too much of a wimp to actually get it, but it, it, it's two words. It says, Telaiparas uh, and Agapetas, two Greek words, the language of the New Testament. And those two words speak an important contradiction relevant to our lives today. Telaiparas is uh, the word, it means wretched. When the Apostle Paul says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And agapetas is the word that means beloved, uh, that throughout the New Testament is used to describe how God feels about us. And importantly, both of those are true. And at the same time, that we are wretched and we are beloved. And that contradiction is one of the most beautiful things that I can tell you this morning. Joshua, if you'd start off with the scripture readings. Morning, church. Good morning. I read it from the book of Luke, chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. And all the tax collectors and sinners who are coming here are listening to them. And the Pharisees and the scribes are going to say, The trouble of the sinners reached to them. And they told them this verse. This one of them had a hundred sheep, and each one of them did not need the ninety-nine in the wilderness, and without the wilderness of his law. And he cried. And there was a thousand, and they were going to show you what it was. And he comes home, he calls together his friends, and they were saying,
For that very reason, I received mercy, so that it may be foremost. Jesus Christ might display the utmost patience, making me an example to those who would come to believe in him for eternal life. To the King of the ages, mortal, invisible, the only God, beyond, and glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. In the gospel story, we are never more than sinners beloved by God and saved by his grace, and we are never less than sinners beloved by God and saved by his grace. Um, and we confess that mystery this morning. We confess that contradiction this morning. Um, we usually say these confessions and, and commissions together. Let me read it for you today, though, and quietly listen and take it in, and then at the end of it, we'll pray the Lord's Prayer together. But it should be up on the screen. A prayer of confession. O God of disreputable companions, you are not content with easy alliances or convenient conversions, but your love seeks us out when we are furthest from you, when we are puffed up with pride, blinded by unbelief, mired in despair, a danger to ourselves and others. When we need you most, you find us and rejoice. But we are quick to give up on ourselves, on one another, and on you. Forsaking the love that sought us so tenderly, we bicker and belittle. We cast out and condemn. We do not forgive as we are forgiven. We do not show mercy as we have been shown mercy. Forgive us, O Lord, and we may join you in your work of seeking, restoring, and rejoicing. Brothers and sisters, believe and have hope this morning. The grace of our Lord overflowed for us with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Through him you are forgiven, you are welcomed, you are loved. Let's rejoice together and give praise to the Lord, the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God. Merciful God, you seek us in the places of our ignorance, in the forgotten corners where we hide in despair. Gather us into your loving embrace and pour upon us your wise and holy spirit, so that we may become faithful servants in whom you rejoice with all the company of heaven. Amen. Please join me as the Lord taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Leave us not with temptation, deliver us from the evil one. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.
sleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? I want to read that as we get into thinking about fear, we think about uh, our God, oftentimes we think about Jesus and um, the love and gentleness that he demonstrates, but even even Jesus as God has got power so much greater than even the things that frighten us and terrify us, the things like storms that can capsize our boats and um, even throw our lives all into to chaos, but to fear the Lord is great wisdom because he's got power even over all of those different things. And we can have assurance through faith because even though we can't guarantee that we'll live to 100, but Jesus guarantees our eternity. Um, Amen. So this next song. It's new, but it repeats.
Oh
be here. We thank you for uh, what you're doing in the city of New Orleans and the state of Louisiana. Um, God, um, as we come to you now with our uh, tithes and offerings, I just pray that um, you would be with us and that you would um, help us to, uh, to be generous and to be obedient. Um, however you would have us give, um, whether it's time or money. Um, God, thank you for giving us the desire and the love for the people around us and, and the ability to, uh, to serve in your grace and in your love. And uh, we love you, and we need you, and we are grateful for uh, being called your children. And uh, we ask and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
your son for us. We thank you that you love us despite being all-powerful, that you have so much that you choose to desire us to be by your side. You pursue us even when we wander. Lord, I pray that you would be in this place this morning, that you would be with these words, that you would dwell in this space, and thank you so much for bringing us into your family. In your name, amen. say go with me to whatever passage. I'm literally going to preach the whole morning on a single verse, so you can go with me if you want to Proverbs chapter 9, or this is probably one that you actually already have memorized. Um, this is also going to be my last sermon on the themes through the sentence literature of the Proverbs. We're going to begin to close out the series through the book of the Proverbs, so if you're just joining in with us and you want to catch the rest of the series here as you're coming in on the end of it. You can listen to the services on Spotify um, where the transcripts are posted online. Proverbs is a book of wisdom. And wisdom is different from information. Information is fast. It's what's trending. We're always creating more of it. Wisdom is slower. It's more visceral. And it's more ancient. And much of it's been forgotten. Perhaps more than anything, what we need in our lives, what we need in our times, is not the information of our day, but the wisdom of times and places other than our own to help us break free of the common ideas and behaviors which have so shaped, so shaped our culture and our lives today. Good news is, wisdom isn't hidden. God is proclaiming and revealing in every corner of the creation. It's just in the noise of life, it's hard to know what to believe. Who can you trust to know and then to speak the truth in a way that's not self-serving? How can we live in a way that won't leave us empty in the end and filled with regret? The topic for this morning is arguably one of the major themes of Proverbs and all of the wisdom literature and even the Bible as a whole. In our society, we have so drifted from this teaching that it's almost hard for us to even take in and understand Proverbs 9, verse 10 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Join me in prayer briefly. Father God, I, I pray as I always do, Lord, that regardless what I say, whether you teach us your truth in your word today, Lord, because we know your truth will set us free, and we desperately belong to be free. We pray this in Jesus' name, so we know you hear us. Amen. I want to start by clearing up a common misunderstanding about this theme in Proverbs. Uh, either a misunderstanding, or maybe it's just uncomfortable. The word fear used here is appropriate. Uh, fear is the right word. It is not mistranslated. It is not figurative. It is not overstated. And if you study the original language, there's really not much lost in translation. Yes, the same word is used for fear and for awe throughout the Bible. Um, biblically speaking, there is a good kind of fear that maybe we could call awe, but between the two words, 
between fear and awe, we more misunderstand in our language the word awe than the word fear. Uh, pizza is not awesome in the biblical sense. Lewis, I'm sorry to break it to you. A hurricane is awesome. An ocean is awesome. And God is awesome. <laughs> fear is the right word to get across what the biblical authors mean when they use Yahweh or Fabas over, or I'm sorry, almost a hundred times throughout Scripture. Only many times this is a good fear, a still small feeling of coming close to something enormous and wild. Authors have tried to use other words, sublime and numinous, to get this concept across. The advice given over and over again in Proverbs is actually that you should fear the Lord. So my main point today is just that. Fear the Lord. This is hard to, to wrap our minds around. I recognize that. Uh, and it's, it's even a bit uncomfortable. Usually there's nothing good or desirable about the people who make us afraid. People who make you afraid are the ones you need distance from, usually, in your life. Not the ones you want to walk and talk with on the daily. In our culture, too, the fear of God is an unpopular message. It doesn't make sense to most people to both fear and love someone, for it seems unhealthy, it seems codependent. One of my favorite songs in my deeply moody high school years explains the cultural <clears throat> understanding of fear pretty well. It says, in Catholic school, as vicious as Roman rule, I got my knuckles bruised by a lady in black. I held my tongue as she told me, son, fear is the heart of love. So I never went back. But that's the wrong idea. We've probably all had experiences where people have told us to be afraid of God when we step out of line, like a ruler to the knuckles. But that's, that's not how Proverbs tends to use this injunction of fear the Lord. Proverbs sees the fear of God not as a threat, usually of warning, but as a desirable end in and of itself. It's not, let's put the fear of God in him, but it's rather Proverbs 14, 27, which says, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. Mainly the Proverbs about fearing God are directed not at fools primarily, not at sinners, not turn or burn, but this instruction is directed toward the wise. Over and over again in Proverbs and throughout the Bible, we see fear of God held out as the beginning of wisdom, part of your healthy daily walk the Lord. And in that, there is an apparent contradiction. We read passages like 1 John 4.18, which says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. End quote. We'll point to Jesus and say, look, there's nothing to be afraid of at church. God loves you. Let's sing Jesus is my friend and smile a lot. And I know, I know, it sounds like I'm picking on Jake, but I'm not. I believe that he's smiling from a very genuine place in his heart. Um, but there is a discomfort in the idea of fearing God to the point where we tend to disregard this teaching. We ought not. This is a beautiful teaching. And disregarding it is to our detriment. And there is no material contradiction. But we are missing something in our understanding of this teaching. In short, I think we're misunderstanding how frightening our world is, how little we are in control of our lives or of the world around us, and how wild God is. 
as children, most of us start with a healthy dose of fear, and we look to safe people in our lives, our parents usually, to comfort us. But we're taught as we grow that we ought not be afraid. Children, as they so often do, know better than adults on this matter. Reading through these passages, I got the sense the authors of the Bible are assuming, they are starting from a, an assumption that we're going to be afraid of something in the world. Fear is assumed. What the Bible is teaching over and over again is that instead of fearing anything else in the world, just like our faith, just like our trust, we need to place our fear as well in the Lord God, because he alone is worthy of it. Everything else frightening in the world will eventually bend to his will, like the tree in the hurricane and the song we're singing. I'm reading a new book right now, which is, uh, which is unlike me. I usually wait at least 50 years to read a book, but I'm reading a new one right now. It's published in 2019 uh, by author Tish Harrison Warren. It's called Prayer in the Night. It, it, she wrote it in 2019. It actually came out in May of 2020, just in the, the providence of God, because it's a book about fear and suffering and trusting God through both. She talks in the book about a miscarriage that she had, which hemorrhaged and almost killed her, and how terrified she was that night, and then afterwards how depressed and angry at God she was. And the reason the book is called Prayer in the Night is because it centers on a prayer of the church known as Compline, which in the Liturgy of the Hours is meant to be prayed in literally the middle of the night meaning monks and nuns who pray the Liturgy of the Hours will literally wake up in the wee hours of the morning to pray this prayer together. That may seem like an insane practice to those of us um, who otherwise don't wake up in the middle of the night, but I would argue that it's powerful. Um, one thing that Warren puts out, which was especially true when the practice was developed, and which I would argue is still true today, is that nighttime legitimately is terrifying. All the children are right, and all the adults are wrong. We should be afraid of the dark. Think of a time before electric lights, or think of those times in your life where you've been in complete darkness. I think, personally, just in my life, I think of this time last year. So around this time last year, post-Hurricane Ida, I was sleeping at my brother's house, I came back early to help with disaster relief, as I was talking about earlier. And I was alone. Annie and the kids were still in Memphis. And when the sun set, the city was in complete darkness. It was eerie. And there were reports of looting on the news. And right or wrong, I, I, I honestly haven't thought through the ethics of this, so I'm sorry if this is offensive. I'll admit to you, I was sleeping with my brother's gun next to me on the side table. And I was not sleeping well. Every noise I heard in the night, I strained my ears to listen to it. I, I was scared. Because when you fall asleep, you lose control over everything that happens to you. Part of fearing God is knowing that all of life is this way. Regardless of how we choose to fool ourselves into thinking that we are in control of the situation, every night when the sun sets, darkness descends in both a spiritual and a real way. Literal way. We don't really have control over our lives. And in an instant, everything can change. When they first instituted this, this Compline prayer, cities would have 
gone through the night's watch in complete darkness. They would have set watchmen on the walls who would watch in complete darkness through the night because if anyone meant to do the city harm, they would usually try to sneak into the city under the cover of darkness. So they would bar the gates. Outside of cities, children would be gathered in and the doors would be barred after dark. The prayer of Compline asks God to, quote, be our light in the darkness and to watch over us. It ends by saying, we entrust to you, God, the night, and we rest in surety. One of Warren's realizations in her miscarriage and near-death experience again was just how little control she had over her life and how terrifying, truly and honestly, that is. And I'll be honest, I'll confess to you something as a pastor, most people would say I'm not supposed to say, especially from the pulpit, most of what we have been through in the past two years has scared me, has made me afraid. I remember the feeling about two weeks into the lockdowns and the pandemic when we had eaten through our food in our house and, and one of us had to go to the store and so I volunteered. And my hands were literally shaking as I just frenetically grabbed food items off of the shelves and tried to get out of there as quickly as I could. It's the first time I left the house for two weeks. I remember the powerlessness of the stay-at-home orders, conversations at work about pay cuts and layoffs, Half the church had lost their jobs. Some of us were in the hospital. All of my plans for the church, I started in January 2020. All of my plans for the church and for that year of our lives came crashing down, which was terrifying. A lot of people say that you're faithless if you're afraid, but regardless of what I was supposed to be feeling, what I actually felt, if I'm honest, was fear. I was afraid I was going to close the first church I had ever pastored within about three weeks of being on the job. Afraid, <clears throat> afraid for my son who has asthma and who's ended up in the hospital before with just mild respiratory illness. Afraid I would make some small mistake and accidentally kill people I loved. A lot of the past few years has felt to me like the sun had gone down and with unseen, unseeable enemies at the gates, and I was the watcher that everyone had elected to stand on the wall. So I started praying, like Compline, that God would stand watch with me. And I started learning in small ways what it means to fear God instead of fearing anything frightening in the world. Warren asks in the book, what I think is an important question, she asks this, if God cannot be trusted, to keep bad things from happening to us, how can we trust him at all? This is the question my heart's been asking for the past few years now. If God isn't going to stop a pandemic from happening or a hurricane or losing housing or losing a grandparent or nearly losing my dad, all theoretical of course, what exactly am I trusting him to do in his watch over me? And if he's not going to stop all the terrifying things from happening, then why does the Bible tell us, fear not, for I will be with you? In response to all the frightening things going on in recent years, I've seen a lot of bravado and denial. Basically people saying that there's nothing to be afraid of in the world so long as you're in Christ. But that's not biblical. Most clearly in 1 Peter we see this. He exhorts people suffering under intense persecution by saying, 
don't fear anything frightening. So he's admitting that what happened, what's happening to them in this persecution is frightening. He's just saying that they should fear God instead. The Bible isn't trying to force us into some kind of bravado where if we have Jesus on our side, we're invincible. We're not. God never promised that. So to understand the exhortation to fear God instead of the world, you have to admit to yourself first that the world is, in fact, frightening. One. And two, you have to admit, and this is even more controversial, you have to admit that, that God himself is frightening. This is the other piece that we're missing that Solomon and the people of his day would have known, and that they called the beginning of wisdom. I mentioned Hurricane Ida earlier and how the word fear or awe would rightly apply to a hurricane. I'm afraid of hurricanes for many reasons. As a native New Orleanian, I, I'm afraid of the power they have. I'm afraid because they have the power to upend my life completely. Not just my life. They have the, the power to upend the lives of everyone around me. They have the power to break my emotional state, to leave me sleeping in my brother's house, sweating through the night with his gun in the next on the on the bedside table next to me. I'm afraid when I think of what happened in the past, how Katrina completely altered not just my house, my home, but the entire city that I loved. And it has never been the same. It will never be the same. That's an incredible power. I'm frightened by the sheer size of hurricanes, knowing that I'm in the middle of miles of devastation. And I'm frightened by their unpredictability, like with Ida, how one minute can be pointed toward Texas and the next minute, literally the next day, I'm evacuating. And I'm frightened by them because I know I might die or be injured, and the people I love might be taken from me. And when you think about it, everything that I just said is as true of God as it is true of a storm. He has more power than a storm does. He has the ability to upend your life entirely. He's done that to me. And he has broken me emotionally. He is larger than a storm. And I do not know what he will do in my life. One minute I can be headed to medical school, and the next I can be headed here to New Orleans to help rebuild. He's entirely beyond my control and rarely does what I want him to do or what I ask him to do. Our God is frightening. He speaks a word and a fig tree withers. Another word and fire from heaven consumes a city. Another word and this age of the earth ends. That's terrifying. If you don't fear God, you're not understanding him rightly for who he is and the kinds of things that he does in the world and in our lives. Makes me think of, and I, I don't have I don't have it written down. I wish I did. It makes me think of uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, where Jill Pole first winds up in Narnia, and she first meets this lion who is God in those stories, and she asks him if he's safe, and he says no. And she asks him if he can if she can get a drink of water from the stream, and he says you're welcome to take a drink, and she says well will you move, and he says no I will not. And he says well do you eat little girls, and he says I have swallowed up girls and boys, men and women cities and kingdoms. God is not tame, but he is good. What you have to understand about fearing God is that he's not trying to scare you. Rather, he is truly terrifying. Like the waters here in Louisiana, worthy you both of fear and love, to quote Aaron Neville, like a flower drinking from the pouring rain, the same rain trying to wash us away. You're like the sun here, 
which illumines our lives and marks our days, yet also is nearly unbearable. This is the way of truly vast, large things. They are wild. They are uncontrollable. They are dangerous. They are terrifying. They are deeply lovely, and they are beautiful. Our God, to repeat the quote from this morning, he is vast. He contains multitudes. He is the real thing towards, towards which the rest of our fears point. So how can we possibly ask a being like that to keep watch with us? Again, because he is good. If he upends our lives, it is because our lives needed to be upended. If he tears something we built down, it was because it needed to fall. We stand watch with the Lord, not because we are safe standing next to something so wild, but because if we are in danger with him, it is peril we are meant to face. Fearing God is less like being safe at home behind a door and more like a dangerous journey, the pilgrim's progress, going one step further away from home than you've ever gone before and not knowing exactly what lies ahead. It is not safe. It's not always happy, but it is deeply joyful and meaningful. And good. So I'd invite you this morning, if you have never considered the fear of God, I would invite you to consider his vast wilderness, to consider his power, and to know that even though he's not trying to make you afraid, he is truly terrifying. And you can admit to yourself that the world also contains many frightening things, but instead of fearing anything in the world, I would invite you to fear the God who created and in every way has overcome the world. He is worthy both of fear and of love. Fear God. It's the beginning of truly knowing him, which is the beginning of wisdom. Pray with me. Father God, I pray that we could learn from your contradictions. Lord, that we would learn what it means to fear and worship you. God, that you would give us your wisdom, which you give to all without finding fault. Lord, I pray that in all the things in the world that are truly terrifying, Lord, that we would learn to fear you most of all, God, knowing that even the wind and the waves obey you, as Jake read earlier. God, even the most frightening circumstances are at your will. Oh, Lord, please give us, as strange as it sounds, forgiveness for you when you do not do the things that we want you to do. God, and please be with us in all the ups and downs of this wild life, God, in all of your wilderness. But we pray to you in Jesus' name, so we know you hear us. Amen.
Please stand with me if you will. Before we go, please sing with me the words of the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Go in grace and peace to love and serve the Lord. Thank you.